0: Elizabeth, and you're listening to Front Porch Radio in Columbia, Tennessee, 101.7 WKOM. You're listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning, the show where you gain clarity and understanding about such things as last will and testament, the probate process trusts, and how not to lose everything you own to the high cost of the nursing home. Now here's your host, Estate Plan Stan.
1: Hey, good day to you. Good day to you on this April the 29th, 2023. You are listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning with your host, Estate Plan Stan. I'm Stan Prachowski with Prochowski Estate Law, Prochowski Elder Law, located on the square in beautiful downtown Pulaski, Tennessee. Bulletproof Estate Planning, as you know, is the show where we talk about all things estate planning. We talk about last wills and testament. We talk about revocable living trusts, special needs trusts, asset protection trusts, and 10-care planning to keep you from going broke in the nursing home. As always, I encourage questions. This show is all about education on what your options are. So if you have a question, you can call me at 931-363-7222 or go to my website, estateplanstan.com. There you can find my email, and you can ask that way if you want to. I always enjoy joining this show here on Front Porch Radio, WKOM 101.7 in Columbia, Tennessee. And for a reminder, all my episodes are posted as podcasts here on WKOM, the website. So if you ever miss one or you want to go back and review a topic, it's there for you to do so. All right, before we get started, I want to talk about my seminars coming up. Got one coming up right here in Columbia on May the 24th. That's a Wednesday. We're going to do that at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. At The address is 405 West 7th Street in Columbia. It's a church meeting house there, and uh, they've invited us to that venue. So again, May 24th, Wednesday at 1 o'clock, 405 West 7th Street in Columbia, uh, the name of this seminar is called Wills, Trust, and the Nursing Home. And that's what we're going to talk about. So if you haven't signed up for it, or if you haven't been to one of my live seminars yet, you ought to give it some thought. They're pretty dynamic. They're very full of fact. Uh, my, the reviews I get for them are wonderful. So uh, if you haven't come to one, why don't you come on and listen to it? All right. So listen, we've been talking about this concept over the last two weeks of a last will and testament. And you know what a Last Will and Testament is and what it does, what it, maybe what it doesn't do. We're going to touch on some more of that, but uh, we've talked about the Last Will and Testament. Now it's time to shift on to something else. So you might ask the question, all right, um, you know, I, what, what other choices do I have? I've heard this a lot of times. People will come into my office and they'll say, you know, I, I, want, to do a, I want to do a will, and I'll say, okay, great. Would you like to hear about some other options? And they look at me and they say, I didn't know there were any such options. I thought a will was all you could do. Okay, well, the answer to that is it's not. It is, it is an option, but it's not the only option. <clears throat> there are actually better options in my opinion. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Because, you know, we, we, briefly I'll go over the four disadvantages of a will. And that is a will has to go through probate. I mean, again. People Sometimes I tell people that and they don't believe me. They say, oh, I don't, you know, I've, I've I, there was a will and Uncle Ned had a will and it didn't go through probate or something. Well, it is an absolute legal assurity that a will has to go through probate. And the probate process is the definition of a will. So just Google the word probate and see what definition you get. And you'll see that it is the proving or the establishing of a will. Now. What does happen sometimes, and I went over last week, if you have a married couple, and they've been married for, you know, quite a few years, long-term marriage thing, all the assets are going to be joint, right? Jointly held assets. So at the first death, you know, we have a couple, we have what we call the first death and the second death. At the first death, there's no need to probate if there's no assets owned in that deceased spouse's name. Because remember, we said in the very first... uh, podcast that if you have a last will and testament, or if you own property in your individual name, it has to go through probate. That's what the probate code is all about. But if at the first death, if you own everything jointly, there's nothing that's in just the deceased spouse's name. So there's no reason. It's very rare to have to probate the first death. So some people might confuse that with a will not going through probate because, you know, uh, husband and wife could each have a will. Husband passes away. Everything's jointly held. So everything passes by right of survivorship or by joint ownership, right? Nothing passes through probate. So there's no need to open up a probate estate and go that route. But at the second death, everything is owned by that individual, and probate is an absolute assurity at that point. And so we talked about the disadvantages of probate. One of them was it takes a long time, you know, statistically 12 to 16 months. Uh, It can be pretty expensive. It can be costly. Depends on, you know. There's no way to tell, but it depends on what all get who all gets involved, what what their motives are. You know, if there's challenges to the will, stuff like that. Uh, it was 100% public. You know, I said I didn't like that. Some people tell me oh, I don't mind that so much, but to me, I think that's a big disadvantage that it's public. You know, anybody can walk in and look at the estate of Stan Pachowski, and there's my will. You can read it. And you can see where all my stuff is going. So I don't like that. I'd like it to be private. And the final disadvantage I talked about to me, which is the biggest disadvantage, is the fact that once you reach the end of the probate process and you distribute your property to your your heirs, your natural heirs, your children, it is an outright distribution, meaning there's no controls on it, there's no terms or conditions, or no strings attached. And I could fill up several shows on this. Bulletproof estate planning if I were to talk about all the reason people do want to put terms and conditions on an inheritance. We'll, t- we'll touch on a few here probably tonight. But you can't do that in probate. It is an outright distribution. Ju- the kids just get it. You know, it's theirs. Ownership is complete. You can't tell them now what they have to do with it or what they can and can't do with it. That's ruling from the grave. And you- the law doesn't allow you to do that. Let me put it this way. It doesn't allow you to do that through the probate process, which is having a will. There is a way to control it with terms and conditions and tying strings to it. It's just not the will that is is the way to do it. So that leads me into the next topic. We're going to talk about a trust plan. Now, I originally talked about if you have a estate in the, here on planet Earth, it can only exist in three possibilities. And I said of those three possibilities, there's only two possible outcomes. The first possibility was you have a will-based plan. Okay, we know that's going through probate. So that's one possibility and one outcome. The other one was you don't have a will. Remember I said if you don't have a will, well, guess what? The state of Tennessee writes one for you. God bless them. That's big of them, isn't it? But anyway, they write one for you. And that also goes through probate because if the state of Tennessee writes your will, then it has to go where wills go, which is through the probate process that's just called the laws of intestate secession and I I even, and so there's two different possibilities, but they both have the same outcome right A will goes through probate and no will goes through probate I mean I say I remember saying the only big difference between the two is if you have a will at least you have some say in where your stuff is going okay now the third possibility is a trust based plan, which is what we're going to start talking about tonight trust based plan uh, a trust based plan does not go through probate. It goes through the trust code, okay? Private Trust Administration. You know, it's a whole different set of laws. You got your probate code and you got your trust code. Probate code is triggered if you pass away with something in your name. So if I own something and the title is in Stan Prochowski, got to go through probate. If I have something and it's titled in Stan Prochowski, trustee of my trust, that's not owned by me. It's in a trust for my benefit with me, the trustee, but the trust owns it. And therefore, the trust code controls the descent and distribution. And it is a 100% probate avoidance technique. So that's what we're going to move into it. But let's talk about this concept of a trust. You know, a lot of people say, I just thought trusts were for rich people. <laughs> you know, I hear that. I hear that a lot. Well, It's not. Uh, rich people can do it, and rich people often do it because rich people are pretty smart about their money, and so they uh, they they often do it. But it doesn't, you don't have to be rich. As a matter of fact, you're going to see here that when you have a trust, you can control exactly where it goes, how you want it, when you want it to go, and what quantities and all that. So if somebody says, well, I don't own enough to have a trust, first of all, that's not a criteria. But second of all, I'd ask this question. Well, if you don't own very much, isn't it now even more important that it goes where you want it to go and not get consumed by all the players that are in the probate process so give that some thought if you you know don't let having a small estate be a deal breaker on a trust it actually works the exact opposite of what your you know reason logic and common sense tells you so, all right so we're going to talk about this concept of a trust and a trust is an agreement it's as simple as that trust is an agreement and this, this agreement has got three parties to it. And these, this agreement goes into effect now, during your life. It doesn't go into effect at death like the will. Remember we said last will and testament. The word testament means at death. A will has no legal significance whatsoever until the moment of death. But a living trust, not so. The living trust goes into effect now, during life. That's why we call it a living trust, okay? Now, like I said, this agreement has three parties. The first party is called the trustor, all right? That's the trust maker. And during your life, that would be you or you and your spouse. Now, sometimes you'll see the term called grantor or settlor. Those are all three mean the same thing. I always stick with trustor, um, but that's the trust maker. Either term you hear means the person making the trust. You know, again, that's the person that creates the trust. So that's you during your life. Now, the other party is the trustee. Everybody's heard the trustee, right? Now, that's the person who has complete and total control of all the property that's in the trust. And during your life, that would be you or you and your spouse if you're a married couple. The third party is the beneficiary. Now, the beneficiary is is for whom is this agreement intended to benefit or who, who did we draft this to benefit? Well, during your life, you are the beneficiaries of this agreement. Now, there are secondary levels of beneficiaries like your children or your, your heirs, but they're a slightly different posture of a beneficiary than you are during life because the children are not also trustor and trustee. They take after death and they're beneficiaries. but So now think about this. You are trustor, maker of the trust, trustee, the controller of the property, and the beneficiary, which means you're all three parties to this agreement. Makes it a very unique agreement, right? I mean, you're all the parties to it. So, uh, you know, in my office, I have this big whiteboard. You know, and I'll draw a box and I'll say, once you, once your box is created, it's empty, right? There's nothing in it. You know, you're the, you're the maker of it. And we make the trust. There's this agreement. But we, by the moment we sign the, the trust agreement, all the parties sign it. We make this box. There's nothing in it because there couldn't be, right? There couldn't be anything in it already because we just now made it. <laughs> so, uh now, so for a trust to work, I mean, you just can't have this agreement all by itself. Some, we have to make this trust work. So for a trust to work, what we do is we move our property into the trust. Now, that, that's called, it's got a term, it's called funding the trust, all right? Now, a common question I get you know, when I say that is, it sounds like it's going to cost me something, you know, the word funding. Well, it, it doesn't. I mean, the word funding, I guess, is not a clear term. I mean, you don't have to write a check or spend money to fund a trust. Funding is simply this this action of moving the property from you as an individual to you as the trustee. Or if if you could see my whiteboard, it'd be moving your property from outside the trust to inside the trust. All right? Now, once you move all your property into this trust, and we're talking about this revocable living trust, we want to move everything we own into it. Okay? That is the only... Let me say that again. That is the only foolproof way to avoid probate is a fully funded living trust. Okay, that's important. So you might ask the question, um, you mean probate can be completely avoided? <laughs> well, you know, that's what I'm saying. You know, Ideally, we want to move all our property into our trust. Because remember that definition I told you about earlier to remember i remember i said anything titled to you when you pass away must by legal definition go through the process of probate so property that's not in the trust is not in the trust it can't you know it has to if it's not in a trust it's in your name and it's probate bound and that's what we don't want you know you don't want to put a bunch of property in trust and leave some of it out although we have a plan b for that but i don't want to confuse it here right away um But uh, that's not really a fatal mistake. But plan A is we want to fund it with everything. Once we create the trust, we want to move all our real property into it. Real property is your land, anything attached to it, all your deeded property. We want to move our personal property in. You know, that's all our stuff, our pots, our pans, our tables, our chairs, all your untitled property, all the property that you own by virtue of possession. Okay? Now, you have other personal property um, that you have a third-party you have a contract with a third party, like bank accounts, checking accounts, savings accounts, CD account. Uh, you may have an Edward Jones or a Raymond James a brokerage kind of account. Uh, you know, all those. All those things we want to move into the trust. Because once it's in the trust, now it's all going to pass probate free. All right? Okay, so let me let me just talk about this funding the trust a minute. Sometimes this confuses people, and sometimes it worries them. It's really not that big a deal. But let me just give you an example of what funding the trust looks like. Uh, because, and I'm going to use a deed for an example. And the reason I use a deed is because you can look at this document. And you can see exactly what happened, all right? Now, a real, real property is land and anything permanently attached to it, by definition. So if you look at your deed, okay, you're going to see that in the upper left-hand corner, there's a couple of players involved. One's called the grantor, okay? That's pretty much the guy who sold you the property, the person who's conveying it. You know, it may not be a bargain for sale or exchange. It may be just somebody uh, giving it to you. But the grantor is the person who's conveying it or giving it up, okay? Then it'll state in there that it's a warranty deed. You know, warranty deed is when you've got all the, the covenants of seasonship and your proper ownership. Then there's going to be something called the grantee. Now that's going to be the buyer, or that's going to be you, the receiver of this tr- this conveyance of property. So if you're a husband and wife, it might say something like Stan Prochowski edux, E-T-U-X, and that's Latin, means and wife. Or it may just say Stan Prochowski and Tammy Prochowski. Either, either way it means the same. Um, either way, the grantee is the is now the new owner of the property. So as you can see in the example, if the property says Stan and Tammy Prochowski, then my wife and I own this property in our individual capacity, right? So this property is not in the trust, right? It's not; it's in my individual name, so it's not in the trust. So if something happens to us, this property must go through probate to be distributed, okay? Now, the way we move a piece of real property into our trust is we generate another deed, okay? This new deed shows the grantor as the same as who the grantee was on the old deed. So the new grantor of the new deed is going to be Stan Prachowski, Ed Ox, Ed Ox, or Stan and Tammy Prachowski. It's going to be exactly the same as what the grantees were in the original deed. Now, it's going to be a quick claim deed. A quick claim deed is not a bargain for sale or exchange. It is, however, a conveyance of, of real property, but it's not a bargain for sale. best way to think of a quick claim deed is that it's just a reassignment of ownership. Okay, We are conveying property, But it's a reassignment of the ownership. Now, the new grantee in this case is going to be Stan and Tammy Prachowski as trustees of the Prachowski Living Trust. Okay? See how that works? Now, what we've done is we've transferred ownership from us in our capacities as individuals to us in the capacity of trustees. Now, once you understand the concept of moving a deed into your trust, you can going to understand the concept of moving all the other property in the trust because it's exactly the same. I just, I simply use the deed because it has the formal document that you look at and you can see what happened. Okay. We're going to do the same thing with your bank account. We're going to change the ownership of it. we gonna change the ownership to, uh, from uh, Stan and Tammy, the individual, to Stan and Tammy, trustee. And we're going to go to our Edward Jones account. We're going to say, hey, we want to change the name of our account. The account doesn't change, just the ownership does, the name does. Uh, you know, if you have uh, uh, some beneficiary-driven instruments, we talked about those, we, we would change the beneficiary to be the trust so that, you know, that's a possibility. We, we may or may not do that. We'll talk about that some more. But you get the idea. Funding the trust is simply just the process of taking the property from outside the trust and moving it into the trust. So, hey, listen, we're coming up on break number one. So stay with me here on Bulletproof Estate Planning. I'll be back in about a few minutes. See you then.
0: Time born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to eat, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to laugh, a time to weep. To everything turn. For 60 years, people have shopped Parks Motor Sales to get the best vehicles and the best service. ParksMotorsales.com has details on new Buicks, certified pre-owned cars, trucks, and SUVs, financing, certified technicians, parts, tires, and much more. Stop by 919 Nashville Highway. Take a Buick for a test drive and learn why the Buick Encore and Buick Enclave are among America's most reliable vehicles. Experience the new Buick at Parks Motor Sales. This is Dr. Wendy Tui from the Dr. Gill Center. Are you suffering from knee pain despite trying usual medications and injections? If this is you, I have great news. Most common causes of knee pain are degeneration due to aging, injury, or repeated stress. In our office, we offer decompression for the knee, which increases range of motion and decreases pain in arthritic and degenerative knees. Studies have shown that this type of mechanical traction can be more effective than conventional methods alone. Initial exam and x-rays, $39. Call mepainfree.com or 615-551-9224. Caledonian Financial is a full-service financial planning firm. What we mean by that is we work with young clients, assisting budgeting and Ross, young families with college planning, life and disability insurance, older clients as they bring in 401k rollovers, seek advice with estate and tax planning, and finally with elderly clients when it comes to the distribution phase of their retirement and long-term care options. This is Marianne Stevick with Caledonian Financial in historic downtown Columbia. Securities and investment advisory services offered through NBC Securities Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Have you heard the news? The Big Yellow School Bus with your host, Jack Cobb, with Murray County Public Schools has a new day and time. Hop on the Big Yellow School Bus Saturdays at 10 a.m. right here on WKOM 101.7 FM to hear all about what's happening in and around Murray County Public Schools. The Big Yellow School Bus with Jack Cobb and Friends on Front Porch Radio, Saturdays at 10 a.m. on WKOM 101.7 FM. This is Jim Ross and you are listening to Front Porch Radio WKOM 101.7, located in Columbia, Tennessee. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plan, a time to be, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to laugh, a time.
1: All right. Hey, welcome back from the break. You're listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning. I'm your host, Estate Plan Stan. And listen, we are continuing on with this concept of a revocable living trust and how it is a instrument that is 100% probate avoidance and doesn't go through the probate court, which skips all those disadvantages that I talked about last week. And we talked about putting a deed in. Okay, we talked about once you get a trust, you want to fund it. So you make the trust, it's empty. So now we want to move our property into it. And so we fund the trust. We move the property from outside the trust into the trust. And during the first segment, we talked about how that looks if you have a deed. And basically, you're changing the ownership from me, Stan Pachowski, the individual, to me, Stan Pachowski, trustee of the Prochowski Living Trust. Now, what that means is I've... I don't own it in my individual capacity. I control it as the trustee. So let me, make this, let me make this concept clear. There's really no such thing as what we call in the trust. Okay, I use that term. You use that term. It's a regular street vernacular kind of term. Everybody uses the term, hey, my house is in the trust. My business is in my trust. There really is no such concept. The trust is a legal fiction. It can't really hold property. What we mean when we say in the trust is this: we mean the property is vested with the trustee. So, if I want to move my house into the into the trust, I now retitle my house to Stan Pachowski, trustee of the Pachowski Living Trust. See how that works? I'm vesting the property with the trustee, and when property is vested with the trustee, then it is in the trust. Okay, that's what that means. So, uh, the terms are interchangeable, but. You know, when you say in the trust, it sounds like, okay, there's a place in the back of the building here where we pile up all your stuff, you know. No, it's, it's not. And I said, you know, the same methodology as I just said with a deed is how we put all your property in their trust. You know, we talked about personal property. Personal property is all your stuff. You know, your pots, your pans, your tables, your chairs. You got all this untitled property. or you got all this property that you own by virtue of your possession. And that's a weird concept. I mean, we put that in the trust. We do that with a a single document and just say everything you own by virtue of possession is in the trust. Let me just spend a minute on this concept of ownership by possession because it's kind of odd. I mean, your normal thought process doesn't go here. I mean, everybody's heard the old saying, possession is nine tenths of the law, right? Everybody's heard that. But nobody ever says, well, what does that really mean? Well, let's talk about it. We're going to find out what it really means. But possession, if you possess something, you can own it. There's no title ownership. Here's an example. You know, if you were sitting here talking to me right now, I'd, I could say to you, how do you, own that, how do you own that shirt you're wearing? Or why do you own the shirt that you're wearing? And the answer is because you possess it and no one else claims it. I mean, your, the, your stuff, your personal property is actually the easiest thing you can put into a trust. Because you know, there's no real documentation showing ownership, you know. If I, you can prove to me you own it, you might say, well, "Yes, I can." Here's a Walmart receipt where I bought this shirt. I say, like, well, wait a minute. That is not ownership. That just proves you bought it. Doesn't mean you own it. You own it because you got it on and you possess it." So, like your TV at home, you know, or your shoes, and your you know the, your bed sheets, the stuff. And you know, I like to coin the phrase "stuff." You got your house is full of stuff. You can't prove you own any of it. Other than it's in your house, you possess it. That's what ownership by possession is. Now, when we talk about putting ownership by possession into a trust. It is really a snapshot in time. So it's a moving target, right? I mean, every day it changes. Maybe even change every hour. It's a moving target. So, you know, a good example is this. Every Friday when I carry the garbage cans out to the end of the road, my personal property, my stuff goes down, right? Because I'm discarding some. And every other day when my wife stops at Walmart, it goes back up again, right? I mean, it just comes and goes every day. It's in, it's out. You keep it, you accumulate it, you lose some of it. it it's just a moving target. So if something ever happens to you, I use myself as an example. So I, when I, I I draw up a document called the assignment of personal property, and that assigns all my personal property that I own by virtue of possession into the Pruchowski Living Trust. Okay, I do that. Now everything I own is in there. Well, what about a year later, when I buy something? Okay. Do I? Oh, you know, let's say a year later, after I make the trust and after I assign all my personal property, a year later I go to Walmart and I buy a big old hundred inch. Uh, Big screen, flat TV, right? And I'm sticking in the back of my truck and I think, oh, shoot, I need to go over to my office and put this in my trust, right? No, you don't have to do that. Take it home, hang it on the wall and possess it. It's in there. It is in the trust by virtue of your possession. Now, the reason we do this, I mean, because some people say, do I have to make an Excel spreadsheet of every little thing I own? You know, this book, this, this a bottle of water here, this pencil, this tablet I'm writing on? No. If you own it, it's in there. And it reaches in the future, like stuff you don't own yet. And it reaches into the past under what we call redemption for stuff that you don't own anymore. Here's the way it works. I, I have this trust. I put all my personal property into it, just like I said. Now, right now, this very moment, something happens to me. i hit by a bolt of lightning, or I have a stroke, and I'm gone, right? There is a snapshot in time of my death. And at my death, all the property that I own by virtue of my possession is in the trust so at death we're not looking at a moving target from day to day right so what's you know we, we want to make sure it's in the trust so if i if I own it and possess it, it's in the trust. if I don't own it and possess it, it is not in the trust so don't get hung up on that concept. It's a little bit odd, but um, I think that was a pretty good example okay now. We also have this concept of other property. You know, you know. There's, let me back up just a little bit. There's only two kinds of property in all the world: real property, and that's land and anything permanently attached, right? That's your deed. And the re- other, and personal property is everything else. I mean, those are the only two. Pretty easy when those are the only two categories, right? Now, when we do these trusts, if you come to my office and say, "Stan, I like the idea of a revocable living trust. I'd like to do one." Okay, okay. I will do some of the funding for you. When we get to the signing, where we sign all these documents, I will have your deed prepared, you know, where it's coming from you or you and your wife to you and your wife as trustees of your trust. And after we sign the trust document, we'll sign the deed. And what do we do? We put the deed in the trust. So we sign the trust document, draw a box on the whiteboard to say, here's your trust. The box is not, not empty anymore. We just put your real property in there. I will also do this assignment of personal property for you. So I'll put all your stuff in there. Now, if those are the only two categories of real of property, real and personal, I'm telling you right now, there's some personal property that you have that I cannot put into the trust for you. And those, that always resides in some form of property where you have a contract with a third party, typically in, the, in, in, in like a financial, um, you know, financial organization like a bank, okay, any financial institution. So what we do is the same thing. I mean, I can't put that in for you, right, because, you know, you go to uh, Bank of Frank Ewing or whatever, and you have a contract with them, and you're on it, and the bank's on it. I'm not on it. So if I go if I go in there and say, hey, I'd like to uh, uh, transfer Mr. Smith's bank account into the trust I'm writing for him, I mean, they'll probably, you know, laugh me out the door. They'll say, you know, you know I have no authority to, uh, deal with that asset, right? So what we do is we create this documentation the bank will want to see. You have to do that. So basically all you do is you go to them and say, hey, I did, want a Mr. Stans, I did want an estate plan Stan's trust and I want to reassign the ownership of my savings account or my checking account or my CD account from us as individuals to us as trustees. I mean, the bank is going to know exactly what you're talking about. Banks are no strangers to trust law. Okay, I mean, practically every bank has a trust department, right? So they'll know exactly what you're talking about. But what what happens is they're going to need some documentation that a trust exists. And I'll go ahead and talk about this now. I wasn't going to, but as long as I'm on the topic. When you go to the bank and say you want to put your property into a trust, they're going to say something like, okay, we're glad to do that. We know exactly what to do. However, you're going to need to prove to us that a trust exists. Now, they won't tell you all this, but if they were telling you, here's what they say. They say, we we have to have proof that a trust exists because we feel that under banking law, it is a vehicle of abuse for someone to open up a bank account in the name of a trust if that trust doesn't exist. Now, I get their concern. Who would do that? I can't, I can't even imagine. It's too bizarre a concept for me to think why anybody would open up the name a bank account in the name of a trust that the, there is no trust that exists and put money into that thing. I mean, but the banks are worried about it, and that's just banking law. And so they're allowed to prove the existence of the trust. Now, a trust is a private document. And, you know, you don't have to show them that document. It's a pretty big document, too. And, you don't you really don't want to show them your trust to prove that you have one because in that trust, you've got personal information, right? You got, you know, suppose you got children that you're leaving property to and one of them you know has got a drug problem or something you know we see that a lot and so you put terms and conditions in this trust to to control the property that goes to that child because you don't want him to get his money and just go snort cocaine and kill himself right so you have some controls in there but you got to put that in the trust and you don't want that kind of information going to the bank cuz it's personal right it's a private document so I mean, they're not entitled to see that. And the legislature has recognized that. And so the legislature has come up with something called a certificate of trust. This is what I will prepare for you. And the bank, basically the certificate of the trust says anybody or any organization, meaning the bank or finan- or you know Edward Jones or uh, any kind of financial institution, anybody or any organization that wants to prove the existence thereof, is entitled to rely on a certificate trust, which gives five pieces of information. None of the five pieces are personal. It's the name of the trust, the date of the trust, who the original trustors are, who the original trustees are, and who these successor trustees are by name only. Now, if you do that and give it to the bank, you know, that's a signed. It's a signed in It's in affidavit form. So it's kind of like a sworn statement saying the, we have a trust, and these are the five pieces of information, and we're swearing under oath that this is true. What that allows the bank to do is accept that and say, okay, we are now held harmless or absolved of any liability if the, something goes wrong because we're, this legislature, we're allowed to rely on this certificate of trust that there really is one. So if you do them, let's just say you do the certificate. Like I said, I can't even imagine why anybody would do this. But if you do them and there really is no trust and you forge a trust certificate and you give it to them and they change your bank account over to a trust and then later on you want to come in and say, hey, wait a minute. Uh, I want to change that, Uh, you know, uh, you're, you know, I want to sue you for putting the money in this trust. They're going to say, well, you know, you can't sue us because the legislature says we're allowed to rely on a properly drafted certificate of trust to prove that there really is one. So anyway, I didn't mean to get that deep into that, but uh, you get the idea, right? All right. So um, the common question I get when we're talking about this, you know, is if I put my property into a trust. And that's what we're talking about, funding the trust. I get a question that if my, if my property is in a trust, like my land, my house, can I still sell it or use it the way I want to? Well, the answer to that is yes. I mean, yeah, you can. I mean, right now when you think about it, it uh, right now and it's out of the trust, you own it in your individual capacity, right? What that means is you could rent your property. You could lease it. You could grow corn on it if you want. I mean, you could torch it and you know, destroy it. I mean, you can do anything you want because you own it, right? Pretty simple. Anything you feel like doing that doesn't cause somebody else a damage, I suppose, you can do anything wise or unwise. I mean, there's, there's no, there's no restrictions whatsoever. Now, and remember what I said earlier, that when you have a trust, the trustee is the person who has complete and total control over all the property that's within the trust, so as, once you move it in the trust, now you're the trustee, right? And the trustee is the only person that can access property in a trust. So as a trustee, you can rent it, you can lease it, you can go grow corn on it, you can torch it, I mean, or you can do anything else that you could do as the owner before. Really, as a matter of fact, um, uh, it is it's completely seamless to you. When you move your house, okay, let's just use your personal residence, you move your house into the trust. It is completely seamless to you because, you know, you still pay the mortgage if you got one. You still mow the grass. You still got to clean the gutters out there to get plugged up with stuff. You got to paint, you know, got to paint it when it chips off. Uh, you got to maintain it. You still – your life has not changed one iota. You're, you're just literally acting, you know, in the – whenever you deal with this piece of property like a buy or sell, or you're just dealing as the trustee of the trust versus uh, the personal owner. It's a different, it's a different capacity, okay. So no big deal. It's it's completely seamless to you. And that makes it really easy to live with. So, anyway, you live your life just exactly as it did. Now the funding business, we talk. We you know we talked about putting some property in there. We want to put it all in there, right? That was what I said earlier. Why? If it's in the trust, it avoids probate. If it's not in the trust, it's not in the trust. If it's not in the trust, it's in your individual name and. A single piece of property could possibly have to go through probate. So um, we want to get it all in there. But this funding concept, when you fund the trust, it's what I call a one and done. Okay. Why do I say one and done? One and done. Well, once you funded it and you're moving all your property that you now have that's into the trust, you really shouldn't have to revisit this funding issue again. You shouldn't have to come back and put anything else in it. Now, let's go over a couple examples of what I mean. Once you move everything in there, it's all in there. Now, let's move forward in time, and let's say you've, you've moved all your deeded property into the trust, uh, and then five years later, five years from now, you decide uh, to buy another piece of property. So the, the lot next to you comes up for sale, and it's a good price, and you think, you know what, I want to buy that lot so I don't have any neighbor problems, or you know I can put a little more insulation, make my property a little bigger. All right, so you make the decision to buy that piece of property. Now, when you go to buy it, you know, there's going to be a closing and all that stuff, right? Just tell the closing agent, say, listen, by the way, when you make out the deed, make the deed out to Stan and Tammy, trustees of the Pachowski Living Trust. So when I, when I buy that property, it's in the trust from the get-go. There's no actual funding. I mean, I made the decision to buy it already. I'm going to get a deed because I made the decision to buy it. So just take the deed and title it when you get it from the get-go to you as the trustee of the trust. Now, sometimes, I mean, I've only ever seen this once. Uh, they wouldn't do that. They said, no, we're going to only make it out to you. So they do, and then the person brought it to me, and we just turn around and deeded it into the trust. It's an extra step. Uh, it gets there. But uh, for the most part, there's no problem them just issuing the original deed to you as a trustee. Same thing with a bank account. You know, suppose five years after you do your trust, you, you're, you're looking at your bank, and they're offering a CD with some really great interest rates, and you say, you know what? I'm going to open up one of those accounts and I'm going to put some money into it. So you go to the bank and say, I want to open up a CD account with all this, with this great interest rate. And they're going to hand you the paperwork. And when there's a line that's going to be, say, the owner of the account, you're going to put, or I'm going to put Stan Prochowski, trustee of the Prochowski Living Trust, right? So I have opened that account in the name of the trust. I mean, I was going to do it anyway because it was a great CD interest rate. So I, I, I've already made that decision. So when I open it up, it's already there. So that's what I mean by a one and done. You shouldn't have to revisit moving it from outside the trust to inside the trust. And this funding concept is pretty darn simple, okay? Anybody can do it. It really is not rocket scientist. I mean, a lot of my clients report back to me that it takes them, you know, a couple of days, some cases a week or two. Uh, You know, I I deal with all the financial institutions for many, many counties around, some of the big ones are everywhere in the United States, that sort of thing. When you go to the bank, like I said, when you go to the bank and you tell them what, that you want to reassign the ownership of your account to the trust, like I said before, they know exactly what you're talking about. They know trust law. You know, they just give you the paperwork, takes about 20 minutes or so, you sign it up, you know, and, and, and it's in there. So again, ideally, we want to put everything into the trust. That's what makes the whole thing work, okay? We control our property as trustees of the trust and not in our individual capacity, That's what makes it a foolproof way to avoid probate. Remember that definition I told you, or that concept. If you own anything in your name, when you pass away, it must go through probate. If you control it as trustee, it will pass to your heirs under our trust code and by the terms and conditions you have written in your trust by a complete 100% probate avoidance. No going to court. No asking the judge, it's okay to pass this property. No subjecting it to all the adversaries, giving them 30 days to object or, or whatever. It, it is just that simple, okay? All right, listen, we're coming up on break number two. So stay with me here on Bulletproof State Planning. I'll be right back. This is Estate Plan Stan at Pachowski Estate Law. Here are some of the questions I get asked. Can I protect my child's inheritance from a divorce? Can I protect my children's inheritance from creditors or lawsuits? What if my child has a drug or alcohol problem? Can I protect their inheritance from that habit? What if I have a special needs child that cannot own property? The answer is yes. Call me at 931-363-7222 for one of my family vision meetings. Your family will thank you. Hi, I'm Steve, the Garbage Man. You're listening to Front Porch Radio, 1017 WKOM, Columbia. All right, hey, welcome back from the break. You are listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning. I am your host, Estate Plan Stan. All right, now we've been talking about this concept of the revocable living trust, and we discussed what kind of what kind of an instrument it is. It's this agreement where you're all three parties to it, and then we talked about funding it. You know, to make a trust work, a trust avoids probate, which is what we want it to do. But in order to make it, a full, a, a foolproof way to avoid probate, it has to be fully funded, meaning all your property needs to be in it. And we talked about how to put property in. We vest it with the trustee, okay? And again, it's not hard to do. Uh, the term funding is not exactly clear. It just means moving the property from outside the trust, inside the trust. All right, so you might say, you might ask a question, say, okay, estate plan, stand. That all sounds great. I mean, that's cool, but... Um, what if I don't have much in my state? All right. Well, you probably have more than you think. I mean, we talked about that. And I said, you know, I said, if you don't have much, then it's more important that what you, little you do have goes where you want it and who you want it to go to. But I guarantee you, you have more than you think. So let me, let me give you a homework assignment. If you, don't th- if you don't think you have much in your state, do something like this. Take a pencil and a piece of paper and start to write it all down. Write down what you are, own and, and assign a value to it. I mean, you're going to surprise yourself. Uh, several years ago, I, I had to do this. I wanted to open up a line of credit with the bank. You know, I'm at my law office, and I don't know what happened. I think the air conditioner went out, and it was going to be five or $6,000, and the roof leaked, and that was going to be another chunk of money. And I don't know. It seemed like I got bombarded in a week or two, uh, and it was going to affect my cash flow, you know. And so I went to the bank, and I wanted to open up a line of credit, which is just right for that kind of stuff. And uh, they said, great, we'll do that. Uh, they gave me this four-page financial statement to fill out where I had to list everything. Every, I mean, the categories on these pages just was all inclusive. I had to list my home, any other property owned like the law office, you know, my office, uh, the, my vehicles, the tractors, everything that hooks to the tractors, my trucks, the trailers, the generators, the guns. I mean, you name it, all the stuff in the house, so on and so forth, and uh, uh, put value on everything. So when I got to the end in your summation of the total value, (laughs) I turned to my wife and I said, listen, do not let the kids see this, (laughs) okay? Uh, You know, we're worth more than we thought we were. So you'll be amazed at what you're worth, okay? You you know, it's a lifetime of accumulation that you've got, and it really adds up, okay? Uh, So don't don't think you don't have it. And if you're a younger couple and you say, well, we don't have much, well, I mean, the goal is that, you know, it's always going to become more, right? You're going to get better at it, so... All right now the good news about all this I'm telling you that is everything that we said that was a big disadvantage of the probate system all this can be solved with a trust based plan okay we're going to go through those four things if we got time as far as time goes remember i said in probate it takes 12 to 16 months I mean, that's the average statistics. They're kind of all over the place, but, you know, there's reasons for that. Remember we said creditors' rights stay open for 12 months after death. So it's hard to close an estate before a year or at least a year from death. So you got this time issue. It takes a long time to get to this distribution phase in probate. Now, a trust goes through private trust administration. It can be done just in, in a couple of weeks. It can be done as uh, soon after death as your heirs want to distribute it. Let me give you an example. Because, you know, I may not get done with all these tonight, but uh, we'll just keep pick up where we left off uh, next week. But let me just talk about this concept of not taking very long. You know, when you're in probate, you know, you got to go to court a couple of months after death, you open up the probate estate, publish the will, get sworn in as the executor. Nobody can do anything until somebody gets sworn in. People say to me all the time, I'm the executor of my dad's will. Is your dad still alive? Yes. Then you're not anything right now. You're not even the executor. And you're not the executor after his death until the court swears you in and tells you you are. When you have a trust, you name somebody called the successor trustee. That's the person who is empowered at the second death, if you're a couple, to distribute the property. And it's immediate. It's the moment of death the the successor trusteeship springs to life. And that person is now... um, empowered with all our trust law under our trust code to distribute the property. And here's an example of how it would work. Let's take a bank account. You know, your successor trustee, so let's say my son, walks into the bank and says, I want to take over my mom and dad's bank account. Of course, the bank being the bank is going to say something like, okay, well, under what authority do you uh, want to proceed under with your mom and dad's account? He's going to hold up a piece of paper and say, here's this document that says I'm the successor trustee of their trust, and their bank account is in the trust, and here's the death certificates to show Stan and Tammy aren't here anymore. The bank will recognize that immediately, and they'll say, okay, what do you want to do with this bank account? So he says, okay, how much is in there? Well, there's $300,000 in here. Okay. My son says, all right, I want to write three checks on this account from me, the successor trustee. One to me for $100,000, one to my brother for $100,000, one to my sister for 100000 And then I want to close the account. And now that asset, that bank account, has been distributed just like that. That simple. It is a well-oiled machine when it comes to doing this. No sending it to court. No going over to the probate court office and saying, hey, is it okay if I distribute this bank account to the three kids, to myself and my, my two siblings? No, none of that. Uh, no Putting it up for review to see if everybody has an okay. Does anybody object to me doing this? No, none of that. None of that. The successor trustee is in complete and total control. And the the successor trustee doesn't really even have much discretion unless the trust gives it to him. But basically the trust says where the stuff goes. And if this trust, if my trust said I leave everything, a third, a third, and a third to my three kids, well, when he gets to the bank account, he splits it into thirds, right? And he gives a third to himself. You know, he, if the successor trustee can wear two hats. He can be the successor trustee and he can be a beneficiary. So in that case, he's just – the successor trustee writes the check, but it's payable to the son, the individual. And then he gives one to his two siblings, okay? Same thing with a deed. Come, the only problem with a deed is you got to have an attorney write a deed in the state of Tennessee. So he comes to an attorney and says, I want to write a deed from me, the successor trustee, to myself, my brother, and my sister as uh, – joint tenants with an undivided one-third interest each. The lawyer writes up the deed. He signs it. And just like that, the three kids own the property that I've lived there for 35 years and hopefully another 10 or 20 before it actually gets distributed. And just like that, that property is distributed to my three kids. That is how you avoid the time issue that it takes 12 to 16 months in probate. There's no court intervention. That's That's the beauty of it. So... All right, listen, I'm getting, I'm about out of time. Um, hey, if you like what we talked about this week, and if that's piqued your interest, I'm glad. I mean, that's my mission. My mission is to get the message out that when it comes to estate planning, you've got options. You've got lots of options, okay? So if you're interested in uh, talking about your own family circumstances, hey, I'm more than happy to take the time to answer. So call me. Call my office at 931-363-7222 you go to my website, estateplanstand.com, and you can set up one of my 15-minute phone calls. That way the, uh, my time and attention is dedicated to to you and your question. All right? Now, seminar coming up. Remember, we're coming up on May the 24th, which is a Wednesday at 1 p.m. The address of that is 405 West 7th Street, Columbia, Tennessee, Wills Trust in the Nursing Home. Uh, call the office to get on that RSVP list so you can um, – be uh, Come to that and hear what we have to say, all right? Hey, listen, thanks for listening. Uh, remember, doing nothing has a predictable result. So thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy the show as much as I enjoy doing it. I'll be back next Saturday night on Front Porch Radio, WKOM 101.7, with the next episode of Bulletproof Estate Planning. And I am Estate Plan Stan. See you next week.
0: Murray County Volunteer Firefighters provide fire and rescue services to Murray County residents like you. I'm Savannah Madison, Public Information Officer with Murray County Fire. Our department serves over 600 square miles, and as a volunteer department, we rely on community donations to operate. You can also support by joining our department. We help you obtain the certifications to become a support member or firefighter. Learn more about making a tax-deductible donation or becoming a firefighter at murraycountyfiretn.org. That's murraycountyfiretn.org. Throughout the country, buried pipelines are indicated by a pipeline right-of-way, a long, wide stretch of grass cleared of trees and marked with signs. If you have a right-of-way near your home, do not plant anything in it or dig in it. Do not install a fence or build your kids a super cool fort without first getting the pipeline operator's approval. For more on pipeline safety, visit pipesafety.org. A message from the Tennessee Gas Association, Tennessee Association of Broadcasters, and this station.
1: I just want to say that your show is disgusting. Two white men and a white woman attacking a black man who's a Democrat, yet you have no balance to anything that you say. You act like a bunch of Southern (laughs) You are ridiculous. You're a horrible show. You're a horrible representation of Tennessee. Y'all are disgusting. You're disgusting
0: human beings. And either balance it out with someone who has a half a clue